0: Chapter 30 When Lighthouses Are Dark by Ethel C. Brill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 30. An Unexpected Visitor March came without any signs of spring. It seemed as cold as ever, and only the fact that the snow sometimes melted and settled a little under the stronger sun on bright days gave any indication that warm weather was drawing nearer. The food question grew more serious every day. The castaways had been for a long time without vegetables. The canned goods, including the milk, were exhausted. The dried fruit and sugar, which they had used very sparingly, were almost gone. There was a little baking powder but no yeast, so hoe cakes, biscuits, and pancakes, made without milk, had taken the place of bread. These things, with dried peas, baked or made into soup— AND FISH AND GAME WHEN THEY COULD GET ANY, WERE THE YOUNG FOLKS FAIR, AND THE PEAS WERE NEARLY GONE. ONE SMALL PIECE OF BACON MARGARET WAS SAVING FOR AN EMERGENCY. COULD THEY HOLD OUT FOR A MONTH OR SIX WEEKS MORE? IT DID NOT SEEM POSSIBLE THAT NAVIGATION TO THE ISLAND COULD BE RESUMED BEFORE THE MIDDLE OF APRIL. THERE WAS NO PERCEPTIBLE BREAK IN THE COLD WEATHER UNTIL THE 14TH OF MARCH, WHEN THERE CAME A SUDDEN CHANGE. THAT MORNING THE WIND WAS BLOWING FROM THE SOUTHWEST, AND BEFORE THE SUN HAD BEEN UP LONG, WATER WAS RUNNING FROM THE ROOF. ALL DAY AND NIGHT THE EAVES DRIPPED, AND THE NEXT DAY, WITH A LIGHT WIND DIRECTLY IN THE SOUTH, WAS STILL WARMER. IT TURNED A LITTLE COLDER THAT NIGHT, BUT THE FOLLOWING AFTERNOON, WHEN RALPH STARTED OUT TO FISH, THE WEATHER WAS STILL MILD, THE WIND SOUTHEAST, AND THE SNOW MELTING it seemed like a genuine spring thaw. Even the hope that spring might be at hand did not lighten the boy's heart that day. Things had been going very wrong. Just as Lawrence's foot seemed to be getting well, he had wrenched it trying to snowshoe, and that day it was badly swollen and inflamed again. What to do for it he did not know, and he was beginning to fear that, without a doctor's care soon, it would never get well. Neither Margaret nor Jack was feeling well, because of their diet, Meg thought. Mr. Graham was strong enough now to help with the hunting and fishing, but for nearly a week they had not succeeded in getting even a squirrel, although they had been driven at last to set snares. For four days they had not caught a fish. The night before the wolves had returned, and had howled close to the house, keeping Ralph awake with anything but pleasant thoughts. As the wet snow slumped under the snowshoes, he was wondering how much longer, if this thaw lasted, it would be possible to fish at all. It would soon be unsafe to go out on the main lake, and there would come a time, he thought, when the ice in the harbor would be too honeycombed to hold him up, and yet there would not be open water enough to launch a boat. In a decidedly unhappy frame of mind, he made his way towards some holes he had cut the day before. ABOUT A MILE DOWN THE HARBOR. FOR SEVERAL HOURS HE WATCHED FOR A BITE, BUT NOT ONE OF THE LITTLE FLAGS FLUTTERED. HE TRAMPED ABOUT, NOT DARING TO GO FAR FROM THE HOLES FOR FEAR OF LOSING A FISH. THE SKY HAD CLOUDED OVER, AND THE SOUTHEAST WIND, BLOWING ACROSS MILES OF SODDEN SNOW AND ICE, CHILLED HIM TO THE BONE. HIS clumsy MOCCASINS WERE WET THROUGH, AND HIS MIND WAS A PREY TO THE GLOOMIEST THOUGHTS. "'Suddenly, an unexpected sound made him look around quickly. "'Someone had shouted. "'Nonsense,' he thought to himself. "'I'm imagining things. "'It must have been the wind or a wolf. "'Then he heard it again, a man's voice, not a wolf's. "'Still, he would not believe his senses. "'There isn't a man, except Larry and Mr. Graham, "'within forty miles, "'and Mr. Graham is over beyond the lighthouse hunting.' He looked towards the tower. Not a living thing was in sight. Again came the shout. Ralph turned and gazed down the harbor. In the distance, hazy from the melting snow, figures were moving, coming towards him. A man, two men, and something else. Dogs! A team of dogs drawing a sled. What could it mean? Where did they come from? Was he seeing something that was not there? "'Had he gone crazy?' "'One of the men shouted again. "'Ralph started towards them, fishing lines and holes forgotten. "'His only thought was that there were human beings. "'He had not gone far, however, when he stopped in doubt. "'What sort of men were those with the dog team? "'Trappers, Indians, tough characters, "'against whom he would have to be on his guard?' HE THOUGHT OF MARGARET AND JACK, AND WONDERED IF THIS WAS A NEW PERIL APPROACHING. THE JOY HE HAD FELT AT THE SIGHT OF HUMAN BEINGS VANISHED AS SUDDENLY AS IT HAD COME, AND FEAR TOOK ITS PLACE. THERE WERE ONLY TWO OF THE NEWCOMERS, THOUGH. WHATEVER THEY WERE, HE AND LARRY AND MR. GRAHAM OUGHT TO BE A MATCH FOR THEM. AT ANY RATE, HE MUST FIND OUT WHERE THEY CAME FROM. SO HE WENT FORWARD AGAIN. As he drew nearer, he was far from reassured. The man on ahead of the dogs was a villainous-looking object, Indian or half-breed. The other one, with his cap pulled low, and a several days' growth of beard, was not much more prepossessing. The latter shouted to him. "'Hello,' he said. "'Do you live around here somewhere?' He did not speak like a half-breed or a Scandinavian. HIS ACCENT WAS THAT OF AN AMERICAN AND AN EDUCATED MAN, RALPH THOUGHT, AND SOMETHING ABOUT HIS VOICE SEEMED STRANGELY FAMILIAR. BUT THE BOY DID NOT INTEND TO ANSWER THE QUESTION UNTIL HE HAD A BETTER LOOK AT THE QUESTIONER. AS HE DREW CLOSER, THE DOGS ACTED AS IF THEY WOULD ATTACK HIM, BUT THE MAN AHEAD SAID SOMETHING TO THEM IN A FIERCE VOICE AND FLOURISHED A LONG WHIP, AND THEY, EVIDENTLY KNOWING THEIR MASTER, QUIETED DOWN. The other man repeated his question, "'Do you live around here?' Then, as Ralph made no answer, "'Don't you speak English?' No wonder, he thought, that Ralph did not understand him, for the lad was staring stupidly. He was looking full into the man's face, and he was beginning to think he had really gone crazy, or that the whole thing was a dream. "'Uncle Frank!' he gasped. "'Ralph!' It was not a dream. There was no mistaking the reality of the grip his uncle gave him. Where in the world did you come from, boy? His voice was husky with emotion. The others, where are they? Over there, Ralph pointed in the direction of the lighthouse. Safe and all right. But where in the world did you come from, Uncle Frank? The Canadian shore. It's a long story. And how did you find us? purely by accident, but I'll tell you about it later. Take me to Margaret and Jack first. He turned towards the other man. This is Michael Lamont. If it hadn't been for him, I shouldn't be here. The half-breed grinned and grunted a greeting, then unceremoniously ordered his dogs to mush, and they all started towards the lighthouse. The dog-driver stopped his team on the beach, "'and Ralph and his uncle went around to the door. "'It happened that the others, busy in the house, did not see them. "'I think,' said the boy, "'you'd better let me prepare Meg a little. "'She'll think she's gone crazy just as I did.' "'So we went in first. "'Margaret was in the kitchen. "'I've good news, Meg,' he said. "'She looked at him in surprise. "'Didn't you get any fish?' "'No, I've something better than fish.' "'A hare?' better than a hair how would you like to have a visitor you must be crazy ralph what do you mean i mean that we have a visitor the one person in the world you want most to see without waiting for a reply he turned and opened the door here he is the next minute meg was in uncle ralph's arms laughing and crying at the same time as he hugged her while Jack was dancing around them, trying to get a chance to be hugged too. Lawrence in the living room heard the racket and hobbled across the passage to see what was the matter. It's Uncle Frank, Ralph shouted to him as he paused amazed in the doorway. This is Larry, Uncle Frank. And Uncle Frank freed one arm to shake hands with the bewildered Larry. For a few minutes, they all forgot Michael. When Ralph went to call him to come in and get warm and have something to eat, he found the half-breed feeding his dogs, keeping them in order with his long whip, while he distributed their meal of frozen fish. Dr. Elliot was anxious to hear the castaways' story, and they were quite as eager to relate it. When they told of their mysterious enemy and how they had nursed him back to sanity, their uncle appeared much interested, and when Ralph mentioned Mr. Graham by name, Mr. Elliot leaned forward in his chair. "'What did you say his name was?' he demanded. "'Mr. Graham. Robert Graham. "'Yes. Do you know him?' "'He's the man I came here to look for. "'Everyone in Fort William,' he explained, "'believes that you were drowned during that fog. "'There seemed no other possible explanation of your disappearance.' lawrence has been sought and advertised for all over canada but no one now has any doubt that you all went down in the bay on my way to your home before i knew of your coming to fort william i stopped at northern university where i used to teach there i learned of the disappearance of robert graham an old pupil and friend of mine he had been staying at the southwestern end of the island they told me with another scientist "'doing geological and biological investigating. "'The two had planned to walk the length of the island, "'but at the last minute, the other man changed his mind "'and took the boat home, leaving Graham to make the trip alone. "'Unfortunately, his friends did not realize "'until after navigation had closed "'that he had really disappeared.' While I was searching for some traces of you, I came across, by accident, the captain of a small wooden freighter, who told me of seeing a flag of distress at the end of the long point. He had only a glimpse of it, as he ran closer to the point than he intended, in a severe wind and sleet storm early in December. Landing to investigate was an impossibility. He reached Fort William after a perilous trip during which his boat was almost crushed by ice and told his story. Navigation had closed and no boats, either Canadian or American, had been reported missing, the crews of which could have reached the island. So no attempt was made to investigate. The story stuck in my mind, though, and I began to wonder if the signal had been raised by Graham and if he could still be alive. I resolved to find out if I could possibly reach the island at that moment the door opened and mr graham came in he stopped on the threshold and stared at the group hello graham said uncle frank that night they heard the whole of dr Elliot's story the party he had been with had gone down to newfoundland in the autumn intending to spend the winter there and go back north in the spring but during the winter the leader of the expedition had been taken very ill this misfortune upset the plans of the entire party, and Dr. Elliot had returned to the United States. He had written to his niece and nephews several times, but had received no answers to his letters. Becoming worried about them, he went to the city where they had lived. There he found the ruins of their house. No one in the neighborhood knew anything about the Elliots, but an officer of the trust company that handled their small property told him of their disappearance." the company had made inquiries and had learned that the young folks must have perished in the fog. Dr. Elliot went at once to Fort William, but his investigations led to the conclusion that his niece and nephews must have been drowned. It was there, however, that he received the hint that his friend Robert Graham might possibly be alive on the island if he could have survived the winter. People tried to discourage him from attempting to cross to the island— he could not be sure that the ice was solid clear across, they said. Usually there was at least a channel of open water. Moreover, the ice might turn soft any day. Uncle Frank was not to be daunted. He laid in some supplies and looked about for a way to take them over. Luckily, at Port Arthur, he came across Michael, a half-breed Cree from the Hudson Bay country, who had a good dog team. "'the Indian readily agreed to accompany him. "'We didn't start a minute too soon,' said Dr. Elliot. "'The sun, aided by these south winds, is softening the ice.' "'Beyond Thunder Cape, they found open water "'and had to turn back and go down along the shore "'half-way to Grand Portage before they could get across. "'Even then they were obliged to make long circuits "'to avoid open places. "'Twice they jumped channels,' and once swam a stretch of icy water, floating the sled across. Much of the ice was dangerously honeycombed, and in one place they nearly lost the whole outfit, when the sled went through. Because of such difficulties, it took them two days to go across, along the northwest shore of the island, and around the end. They had reached Smith Harbor the night before, that morning they had searched the harbor, discovering evidences that someone had been living there since the snow came. Then they had extended their search to the outer harbor. That night Dr. Elliot and the others talked until late, and were so taken up with telling their adventures that they did not notice, until they were ready to go to bed, that rain was falling steadily. "'Spring seems to have really come at last,' said Meg. But Uncle Frank looked grave.' and the half-breed gave a grunt of disgust. End of chapter 30